Welcome to the Possibility Action Network podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Middleton, a.k.a. Possibility Man. We're committed to bringing you guests who strive to better people's lives and serve as a force for good in the world. Today, our guest is Ashley Barrow. Ashley, along with her 12-year-old son, Aaron, developed a digital platform called ReAssist. It helps hospitals, patients, and caregivers navigate the complicated world of moving from hospital home or from hospital to a care facility. Ashley, welcome to the show today. Thank you for having me. Look, I tell you, I'm so excited that you're here. When I heard about you and the important work that you're doing, I thought I just got to have her on the podcast. And just so that people understand what we're talking about, as I said in an introduction, your work involves, your business and your work involves how people navigate this complicated world of going from a hospital setting back home or from a hospital setting to another care facility, or even actually, and help me if I'm wrong, from a hospital setting to hospice. So this is pretty important stuff to me. Did I get that about right, about what you all Yeah, do? you sure did. Yeah, we help individuals transition from acute to post-acute care uh, and whatever that may be. That may be home health, that may be hospice, that may be skilled nursing, inpatient rehab. No. You know, it's many different avenues, but we're just here to make it transparent and clear and get people connected to the right service. Yes. Fantastic. I want to come back to that and I want us to kind of, you know, kind of dig into that real carefully because, um, you know, you don't know this is important until you're in it, right? I mean, you don't know until a family member is there or or even you yourself is there. But I'll roll back just a minute, Ashley. At what point in your education would you say that you considered becoming a nurse? Um, well, that's a really good question. And I'm not sure that, again, my, my thoughts are more based off of experience. So I had a grandmother that was 52. I was four years old and I was taking care of her, um, you know, just as a, a grandchild could at that time, at that age, you know, getting stuff for her. And I just always have been very nurturing. Um, I went through vocational schooling um, and did health technology. Then I went on to be a nurse. So I really got my nursing and my nurturing um, part of me um, through just life experience, unfortunately, since the age of four. Uh huh. I see. Uh, that's yeah. important. So um, what prompted you, along with your son, Aaron, he must be quite a kid, to start this digital platform? What was your motivation to do this? Again, life experience. So I had been in um, case management, did some rehabilitation liaison work and clinical liaison work. And um, I had a family member, um, more than one family member, go through a, a position or a transition where they were in a hospital environment and they needed to go to another level of care or be connected to services. And um, it was very, you know, it was we didn't really know what to do and how to navigate that and kind of just trusted different opinions and things like that. So what I wanted to do was go a little bit deeper and see what that really looked like for the individual and get to know that part of it. So the way it all started with me and my son was it was COVID. And I had been in these working environments as like a case manager. I had been in a rehabilitation liaison position and worked really hard to um, build my relationship within the community. And I, I think I did pretty well with that. But when COVID happened, kids went home remotely um, from school 
So I had three um, that had remote learning at the time. And just so happened, I had a chance to think, now, Stephen, did you know that innovation happens a lot of times at rest? Yes. <laughs> so when I was actually not so involved with other infrastructures and processes, I was able to think through all my years experience mm. from the time I was four caring for my grandmother working with my other family members that went through this transition of care and mm. really figured out what, how could I make a difference in this? Mm. And as I was planning and involving kind of like my children in process or just bouncing ideas off of them, my son was able to create the first MVP of the project. I had no idea he had that technical skip spill, but that's how it all happened. Wow. What does Aaron think about all of this? I mean, what does he think about, you know, reassisting and what you're trying to do here? Um, he loves that we're trying to help people. We've been having to help. We've if you, we've had to help all of our my life and then my kids' life, caring for a family member typically or a loved one or even a friend. We just have always, as a family, been able to have that nurturing part of us that has always been a place of help. So anytime we're helping someone, it's it's almost a ministry for our family. Honestly that we go out and we do that. That's just something that we've been called to do. So naturally, um, he loves to do that. And then that he ha understands the technical part of it has been really good for us. Yeah. That's fantastic. So how did you come up with the name? And I love the name of the of the company, Reassist. That's so creative. Thank you for that. And the name is very important. And you're the first person I've ever asked me that. So the name comes with, if you can imagine being in a hospital and um, you need to go to that next level of care. Let's say you had a traumatic event happen and all of a sudden you have a new disability. You know how devastating that is for a person, especially a younger person that likes to do things like drive, go out to the movies and hang out with their friends and things like that. And let's say they had a traumatic event and they can't walk and they have to cope with a disability where they cannot do the things that they used to do. So we want to put this platform in front of people right at the point of care yeah. when they have an event like that and then allow them to have a renewal, wow. a, re, a, revival, a revitalization, a restart, a rebuild, restore them. We want to redo it for them. We want to give them another try. We're gonna, we want to give them another chance yeah. by accessing appropriate resources to help them cope with their disability so they can improve their quality of life. Yeah. That's what we're, that's what the platform is for. That's, that's fantastic. We'll dig more into the platform in a moment, but I want to just kind of look at this process because many people, I mean, if you are, I mean, I would say almost all of us on the planet have known or will know someone who has been to a hospital and then be, first I want to use the word discharge. You know, but even that process is not a simple process, is it? Whenever you leave the facility back home. It's not, it's not. Do you want me to talk more about that? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. So um, typically when a, a person is ready to discharge, there's a lot of internal and external factors that play along with it. That's insurance. Um, that's the person's capability of what they can endure as far as maybe a rehab. Um, they have to consider their informal supports, like what kind of family um, can help or paid people that can come in and provide help. Um, are they connected to like a housing that has these type of supports? Are they going home independently? So there's a lot of different factors and everything is case by case per person. So it's just a 
it's chaos, to be yeah. honest, of how to get someone connected to the right services for their particular need. Right. So that's that's what that looks like there. I got you. And that, I mean, that just is so important, and pardon me for cutting you off there, but I'm just thinking about this, just something simple as, and I want you to look at this charge first, and I'm not sure if it's fair to, to segregate this charge from transition, but allow me to just look at this charge. From, I think a lot of people don't face this. Just something as simple as if a person, for example, has been in a hospital, I'm asking you now, and you know they leave to go to the hospital because of, let's say, an auto accident. And now they can't walk, as you've said before. When they get home, they got to think about a few things if their home is not accessible. Is that right? So it's like you've got to be in the process of planning. So, so tell us more about what should people, people be thinking about oh, when, when a loved one go in and when a loved one or even themselves come out? Well, first, and I love this subject so much. I'm so passionate about it. First and foremost, work with the hospital, the therapist there, the case management there, and see if, house, if, if going back to your environment is the most, you know, the best thing for you to do. There are other options there where you can may go to a rehabilitation facility or you may need to be get connected to service. But let's look at this where a patient has a motor vehicle accident and let's say they are having some difficulty walking, they can't get around as good, but they're still safe to go home. So what we want to look at and what the patient should be looking at is how many steps is it to get into your front door? Um, is that a barrier? Are you weight bearing when you go home? Well, you got you to know that. Because a lot of times, sometimes they might want you off your feet or off your, you know, your limbs for a certain amount of time. How, what's your supports at home are? Um, do you have someone that can help with, you know, getting medicine or getting things run into the store? Or do you have somebody that can literally do help you do some work, like get you to the toilet and back and stuff like that? Understand that's very different. Supervision versus doing any type of um, lifting or anything like that is very different. So know that. Um, do you need to get connected to any equipment um, at home? Do you need to have someone come to the home and help with maybe medication education, like a skilled nursing company, or maybe a companion service where someone's doing non-skilled care and just there so you're safe um, and things like that. So those are some just some brief examples of some things to think about. But if you can look at that example alone, how unique that person's need is and the questions behind it and just things to be looking at and thinking about when you're in this process. Yeah, I mean, listening to you, Ashley, I mean, this just reminds me is that the planning has to begin before the day of discharge. If you wait until the day of discharge, to me, it just sounds like it's too late. A couple of things that occurred to me, and tell me if I'm off through all of this, but simple things that occurred to me. What if a person lives in a house, and let's say the discharged person can go home, but they just can't use their legs. They're in a wheelchair, so it's the first time into the house. Is something as simple as, do they have a high toilet seat or low toilet seat? Is that important? Do you need to be thinking about that? Yeah, absolutely. Equipment is definitely important yeah. to, to realize that. Um, there, does there need to be grab bars in the shower so yeah. nobody's falling? Um, things like that. So equipment is definitely important. Um, again, your informal supports, what does that mean, really? Can somebody actually help you? Or yeah. are they just going to be there to supervise, like answer a door or let someone in. And then home health, if you do get connected to home health, is the amount of hours that they're coming in the home sufficient? 
or are they just coming to do bathing, hands-on care for one hour or so? Or do you need to get connected to a waiver program that can offer more support? Yeah. Um, so it's just realistically thinking through those, you know, the care transition and what that looks like. But hopefully in this acute event um, where there's a motor vehicle accident or something like that, maybe you just need some physical therapy to come to your house a couple times a week and then you get better with the supports that you have there. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah it's all different. Great. Yeah, that's great, Ashley, because I, I, I heard, I'm emphasizing this because I want people who hear you on, you know, whatever platform they hear this or see you on whatever platform they, they watch uh, to understand that if a loved one, or even themselves, find themselves in a situation that pre-planning to go home or to go someplace is so important. So I think you've made that point. But so let me ask you this, uh, because a lot of us think that we're in a hospital Everything should go right, but in talking with you and learning about you, it's like, wait a minute, some things can go wrong. Is that about right? Can things go wrong? It can now. The discharge process. Yeah, they, it can now. Um, with all re due respect to hospitals, they do have an infrastructure that is definitely set up to help individuals transition with the most people with a lot of expertise, a lot of education, and they do a great, a fine job. Now, a little bit of a barrier is when patients really don't um, expose all of the information needed a lot of the time sometimes, or if some information isn't conveyed through communication from one clinician to another, sometimes it's lost in communication. Um, so let me give you an example, or if you want me to. Yeah, please give uh, an example, yes. Yeah, let me give you an example. So let's say we got a patient that um, had a spinal cord or a um, spine surgery. Okay, it was all set up. Everything was good. Um, we, they, the person went to the hospital, had the surgery, and they were all teed up to do some a little bit of rehab afterwards. They go to the rehab place, and then after they discharge from the rehab, they were supposed to get home health um, involved in, in just a little bit of continued physical therapy at the home. Mm -hmm. The person is at the home um, and is waiting for this connection for home health. It didn't start at the hospital. Sometimes that happens where they come in and they introduce themselves and make sure you're all teed up and connected at the hospital, but that didn't happen. So the patient is just waiting for the service to start. They call the home health and they find out that the home health care does not accept their insurance. So they're not coming out. So that patient is like, what am I supposed to do? Like, I was supposed to have home health. I'm stronger, but I'm not 100%. And I need to learn how to navigate my home environment. I, yeah, I, I was fine when I was at the rehab and they had the parallel bars and they had all that fancy specialized equipment, but now I'm at home and you're right. My toilet is a little bit too short for me now. And yeah, I need grab bars in my shower. I might even need a shower chair. And I didn't think of that. And neither did, neither did the therapist at the um, facility think of that. So anyway, this guy doesn't get connected to home care because unfortunately they don't take his insurance. He's calling, trying to figure out who takes his insurance now. And unfortunately he falls and now has a broken hip. Mm. Yes. So now we've got a, a patient that we had all perfect at the hospital, right. all perfect at the skilled nursing facility and then goes home and nothing is like they thought it would be. And here we are with a hip. Now we got a spine and a hip. Yeah. It's wow. like, oh my goodness, what happened? Like, <laughs> yeah, and that's why it's so important 
uh, for us to have this conversation because people, and the hospitals are aware that in the discharge, even transition, I'm, I'm using it differently right now, that re-injury or new injury could occur if someone doesn't handle that process well. And you just give a classic example. Oh, let me also say this, and I'm sure you would agree. Uh, you know, I am not, you know, being critical of hospitals. I, uh, medical workers are hardworking people. They do the very best. All of those things are very true. But when you deal with so much, so many people, so much paperwork, so many different institutions, things can go wrong. May I share one example with you that I heard about? Yeah. I respond to it. You know, I know of someone who uh, was supposed to do lab from a hospital. And the hospital said that the facility that we we're going to send your material to, you know, your, your blood work to, accepts Medicare. And they said that you'll get a call from that institution. Well, the person got a call from the institution. And guess what, Ashley? They said, hey, you owe us $1,000 before we can do the work. He said, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, so he had to get back to the hospital and educate the hospital about the problem that he encountered. Do you think this is a rare event? Or do you think these kinds of things may happen you know, occasionally? Yeah, I think they happen. I think they happen all the time. And that's one of the things we're looking for is um, cost transparency to put our, our platform in some later phases. But those things happen. It's different institutions interpret things differently. Sometimes there just needs to be education behind that. Um, but that's an unfortunate that that happened to your friend. But yeah, things like that does happen. It does. Yeah. And that's why this raises another important thing. And I think this is a part of what you do is that the patient, because frequently, including me, you know, we can defer to our doctor, we can defer to the hospital, we can defer to some other institution to take care of things from us. But in talking with you, it's like, wait a minute now, you gotta be a part of this process and even have an advocate on your side as you look at this process, so. Yes, yes. Would you like me to talk more about yes, that? Yes, please. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm gonna be real honest with you, you know, in my career, you know, I always thought I was so great at case management because I've lived these resources since I was four. I mean, my grandmother talked about her and other family members that have went, just had decline in function. And then we had to work, we, we have a history in our family of just caring for people in the home and not really going to rehabs and things like that. So we would naturally just connect people to different community resources. So I've been doing this forever, but I'll tell you what, it wasn't until I had an experience with a close family member of mine that um, actually needed an amputation. She was going through a, a lot of different um, seasons where she needed to be connected to services, connected to different um, equipment, connected to different programs, you know, and go through a lot of things. So you have to become an advocate um, when you're fighting for a life. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people have experienced that if they had a senior or an aging adult that they're taking care of, or even a, a person with a, a developmental disability or physical disability and how they navigate just living life and getting connected to the right services. Because we even talked about before how, you know, if your interpretation of something um, from like, let's say a social, social economical point of view, if you don't understand that lifestyle that someone may live like a diabetic that lives in a food desert, but they keep having high um, blood, you know, high um, A1Cs and, or a person that um, 
is affected by their environment and in addition have a disability or chronic a chronic illness that they're coping with, how do we get on the level of that person and help them on that level, on that grassroots level? You know what I'm saying? So we can really take care of a person um, if that helps get with the answer. Yeah, that's great. Um, you know, just two thoughts occurred to me because one thing is that one can have the expectation that you're discharged Okay, and then life is over for you. It's like you go home and then there's nothing, but you can be discharged. It could be an exciting new beginning. People can have new tools to work with to make their life have a better quality of life. Is that about it? Is that, it doesn't have to be over. It could be a good quality of life if you get what you need. Absolutely. Yeah. But we got, again, as clinicians and as um, individuals in that space, we also, again, have to think with that, um, that factor that you know, maybe there's all low furniture. If you look at now, sectionals are so low, you know, those new like um, couches that kind of go into like an L shape, they're very popular, yes. but they're very low to the ground. Could you imagine somebody that may have a difficult time getting up, trying to get off of one of those? Uh-huh. So they might need to be connected to a lift chair or something. These, these are things that we want to foresee so we can help. So then there's not a fall or someone can't get up and then they need a lift assist from the, the fire department. Things like that is what I'm trying to include in our application. So people are thinking of these things and they can search and filter through them is what yeah, I'm trying to you know, Yeah, you know, I, uh, I'm thinking about a scenario now. And this is something that I've witnessed. And it's about a rural family. Um, both are you know, adults. Um, both are in the same demographic. Um, both, you know, have limited education. In one case, and I couldn't, I still can't figure this out. In one case, actually, one adult got all of the gadgets she needed, including she could step on a scale and the hospital in another city could know whether she weighed herself or not to manage it. But there's another person, actually, same demographics, same situation, for whatever reason, She's not accessing the services that are available. And I just can't figure this out. I ask myself, what's missing in these two scenarios? As I said, exact same scenario. So it's not the like one culture, a different culture, same culture, same different demographics. One gets all kinds of resources, the other one doesn't. I don't, I don't understand. It's access and transparency. And that's what we're trying to bring to, we want everybody to have access and opportunity. And that's what we're trying to bring through the platform. But yeah. that happens all the time. So if you've got a case manager, let, let's say one of the uh, guys or, or the people that you're working with is working with a case manager like me all their life have had to find resources. So whatever situation you're in, I'm, I'm going to find something to help you, right? Yeah. But then you may have someone that may not be exposed to that and think that just giving you an application to fill out for services, and then they'll educate you on that later type of thing. That causes a delay, but that stuff happens. I mean, it, yeah. it just all it's all about. So what I'm trying to do is put that insight into the platform so that people can just search and it'll pop up for them and it can be transparent and they can have access. I got you. Before we look, dig into the platform, I've got another question to ask you. What yeah. about uh, the emotional side of all of this? I mean, once again, we don't think about this until it happens. And maybe even the, even the patient may not be aware of it, but you end up in a facility and you're going home. And because of the nature of your situation, you're having emotional issues. 
and you're not even able to even identify what they are. I mean, is that something that happens or am I like reaching into a world? Oh, man, can you imagine not only the patient, but the family members? Yeah. It's like, what? Yeah. I thought we were supposed to be here for a month and it's two weeks and she's ready to go home. Yeah. We're not even ready for this on, on a mental the capacity the family can have or the patient on just taking care of a loved one in that situation, which may need a little bit more, you know, like I said, get connection before they can really be safe. And yeah, I, that does take a toll. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to contain myself because I, this is such a, an important yeah, isn't it? In for, you know, just so I understand why you're passionate. I'm trying to keep myself contained. But look, Sorry, that's yeah, good. And then, you know, but this charge, just getting out of the hospital is important because, you know, the longer you stay there, thing, bad things can happen through no fault of anybody, right? So you got this push, you know, you want to get out of there when you're healthy because you don't want to risk infections. But at the same time, you want to make sure that you are prepared as well. So, yes, yes. Hmm. So let's let's go back to reassess and try to to talk more about this because I want people to understand this platform. Uh, but let me ask you my first question as I've thought about this: Is it geared more for institutions, or is it geared for families and institutions? Um, families and institutions. So what? What Reassist does is we uh, replace the paperless directory and care planning. Um, so typically when someone is um, at a hospital or they're in the community and they have a decline in function, lack of support, they need to get connected to goods or services. Typically, you'll see a, a paperless um, directory with names, phone numbers, addresses, um, and things like that. But it doesn't really, you know, it doesn't tell you if it accepts your insurance. It doesn't you know, do all of that. So that's very time consuming with a lot of calls made and you sometimes don't get to the right person. It could take hours, days to get connected to the right service. Um, so what, what what we do with reassess is we allow individuals to kind of just search, filter through a couple categories and then they should be able to get kind of like the right information they need at their fingertips within seconds. Yeah. So for let me answer that question now. So for the institution, what it will do is it will save with productivity, length of stay in hospitals, it will expedite the referral process, and it will increase utilization between providers. For the patients, it will give them more access to like that person in the rural community that wasn't connected as much. It will allow them to be just as connected as another person because they'll have all the resources at their fingertips right there by just searching and filtering different care needs. Got you. Yeah, and I want to make sure people understand what we're, what we're talking about here is that, and I want to call this the old way, you know, even though it's still a prominent way, uh, the old way, paper. You know, the hospital, you know, you're discharged, you get this paper and all of this stuff that, that's supposed to happen. But you're replaced, well, I, I'm, you tell me whether it's replaced, and maybe it's an addendum to paper is your digital platform, which is searchable. So tell us more about this right. platform. So, yeah, so with what we're replacing, so typically it's a paper list that's given. And um, um, it may just be a paper list that, oh, it's not right here on my fingertips, but a paper list directory with names, numbers, and addresses. Let's say you're going to a skilled nursing facility or you need to find a facility that suits your needs, right? Um, so the way they provide choice, like a choice, because you have to have choice. 
is they give you a choice list with a directory of names, numbers, and addresses. So you'll still have your discharge plan, like you kind of talked about, but this is to kind of, before all that happens, you get a choice of where you want to go for your care. And it's typically in a directory form. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. And, you know, I just want to emphasize because as I said, I think our culture, at least from my understanding, and I could be Uh wrong, is to believe that the hospital always will get it right. And that doesn't mean that people aren't comfortable. It just means that with so many people, so many parts moving, um, things can can go wrong. So um, They can. Can I add to that real quick? Oh, yes, ma'am. So in this situation, it's really quite odd because hospital cannot really help you choose Mm. because there's laws against that, like anti-kickback laws or Mm. anti-staring. So literally with this is patient choice and people typically either go to like Google, they mm-hmm. use word of mouth. Um, they just really don't know, but it's up to them where they go, what services they choose. Mm-hmm. Totally up to them. Everybody's hands is off. You, you could have went, you could have had surgery and had all this stuff going on. And literally it's your choice. They give you a paperless directory, their hands is off. You let them know where you want to go. And then they'll figure out the, as far as the referral, the rest of that, uh, you know, that for you, but that choice part, that is a patient choice, but it's not a lot of clarity around, you know, exactly what that looks like. Yeah. That's, a, that's important to know. So um, is, is reassist, the reassist digital platform, is it available now? We're launching it. We got a little, a couple kinks to work out, but it is available. We're launching it, but again, what right now our goal is to get with institutions that want to partner with us to work this um, process out. This is very new. We're going from a patient list to a whole full digital health platform. So there's implementation process that need to be in place, like you know, vetting and fact finding services. We need to act, give service providers access to the platform so they can manipulate some things so patients can then have up-to-date data. So there is an implementation process with this. So right now we're looking at hospital systems to partner with to do this, um, to do this implementation process, get the, plas- uh, get the platform populated, and then put it in front of those individuals now that are going to be um, able to access that through the hospital. But we also are working with through strategic partners in the community that this will be available to for too. So I don't want to say it's not going to be, you might not see it as a patient or a person in the community you will, but there's processes we're going through now because we're so early on. Mm-hmm. I see. So a patient, if a patient is in a hospital or you know, family members patient, uh, loved one is in a hospital, uh, they couldn't go to the hospital case manager and say, look, I want to look at this platform called Reassist and have them show it to you. That's not available yet. Right. It's not available yet, but we're working on those relationships so it can happen. Um, but yeah, if they're requested, I'm getting around. So I'm sure somebody knows something about it. But um, yeah, that's that's where we're at now um, in hopes that if we meet people at the point of care where they have that choice, where it's most critical so we can, again, renew and all that stuff, re- revive and all that stuff that we want to do, give a person another chance they will have it at the time or at the point of care when that choice is there and no one really is helping, you know, with that for many different reasons, but we just want to add um, accessibility and um, transparency to that part. So, yeah. so um, is the reassist 
digital platform easy to use? Oh, yes, yes, yes. So it's very easy to use. Um, it's very in really good, clear font, um, just clickable for the most part, navigation. Um, individuals are able to just search, like if they want ca cardiac care, they want to search that, a whole list of different resources to pop up. It's just really, really easy to use for the clinician and then also the patient as well. Yeah. That's great. So, um, so um, you've been around for about a year, is that right? Yep, about a year. Mm -hmm. have, you, have you won any business development grants along the way? Oh, yes, I have. I have. I have. So I have won a couple of grants. I, I got Main Street Ventures. Um, they did a launch grant. We got that. We were able to tap in some funding from, um, I believe, Ohio Third Frontier. Uh, we've also be a, been able to be supported by a group called Border. Um, so different different entities. The state of Ohio was giving some grants away. We were able to tap into some of those. So that's yeah, a, that's we were able to actually start our whole process and develop our platform, all non-dilutive funding, so all grant funding. So thank you, everybody, for supporting me on that. That's fantastic. So what's next for reassist? Where do you see this going? Oh, my Our own vision board, actually. This is your vision board. <laughs> you know what? Honestly, if someone, the only thing I want is somebody to get in front of a patient at the time or at the point of care where they have that choice and it's critical that they get connected to the right goods or service or the right service and they have reassist in front of them and they're able to transition without flaw and actually improve and get better. If I see that, I'm just going to be so happy. That's, 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 that's what I've worked so hard for. Yeah, that's wonderful. But yeah, that's but wonderful. beyond that, um, the goal would be to, you know, finish launching this, um, get into a hospital system that sees value in this and that they are implementing this and that we can continue to do this. But the goal, again, is to improve quality of life. That's great. So um, how old is Aaron now? Your, your co-pilot? He's 13. He's 13. 13. Look, yeah. when you speak with him again, let him know that I think he's a genius to <laughs> contribute to the development of this platform. In fact, I wouldn't mind interviewing Aaron at some point. So that I think that. Um, actually, is there anything else you care to share with us that, I have not, that we have not talked about? Um, no, but I tell you what, I hope that somebody has found value in this. Um, this is, again, a passion of mine, and it's, based, it's mostly off of experience, you know. Um, I've been in some really um, different different types of, you know, way, different ways. I'm sorry, I'm losing my words here, but I've been in many different situations from young until as old as I am now where I've had to advocate for someone that, that didn't get connected to the right service. I can't tell you how many times I've been on the bedside of a traumatic brain injury or a spinal cord injury to sit with their fa their families there. Like, is there anything we could do? Is there anything we could do? And I'm not sure if they went to rehab after their hospital stay or what, but it's a difference. It's a difference if you get correct connected to the right services, you know, earlier than sooner than later. And I'm just trying to provide that um, transparency so everyone can have an opportunity, if possible, to get the best care. So I just want to thank you so much for your time. It's been absolutely wonderful. I hope that the passion that I have for the platform and, and, help, and helping people has come across in this podcast. And if there's anything I can do for you, please let me know. 
Okay, great, Ashley. Thank you so much. It was wonderful to have you as a guest. And you made you made, made it clear, you know, we have to be alert and know that uh, in transitioning or discharge, we can't just drop the ball on it. So thank you again for being with us. All right, thank you. You've been listening to the Possibility Action Network podcast with your host, Stephen Middleton. Our guest today has been Ashley Barrow, the founder, co-founder with her son Aaron of Reassist a digital platform. Ashley, thank you for being with us today. Thank you. Have a good day. Sure.